Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 329, Best Games to Teach Specific Mechanics Simply. We like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back. We are so glad that you're joining us here this week. We got a fun episode for you. A lot of times when we talk about board games, and especially newbies coming into board gaming, often it's hard to kind of like get them involved in the hobby in the way that we'd like them to. And if you've been in the hobby at any level, you understand that mechanics often repeat themselves in game after game after game. But in fact... How do you get involved? How do you learn those mechanics so that later on, new people at the table feel comfortable with playing games? So for our feature review this week, we'll be talking about the best games to teach uh, mechanics in a very simple manner. So if you're looking to teach worker placement, if you're looking to teach area control, deck building, these are the great games that will teach those mechanics in the best way possible so that you can get your friends and family into deeper games that have even more mechanics to it on top of everything else. And I know that we love getting these games to the table, and that's, that tends to be one of the things that I know you talk about a lot, Anthony, is that uh, once you know one game, you know half a dozen games, and people don't often get that um, when they first get into the hobby. Yeah, definitely, 100%. It's, it's a funny thing, like... I've had multiple people like look at my room right now and you can't see it right now because I'm packing because I'm moving in a few weeks. Um, so we have empty shelves behind me, but there are hundreds of board games in this house in boxes on shelves in closets. And so somebody comes in and I'm like, how do you know the rules to all these? And I'm like, one, I don't <laughs> Two, There's really only like a hundred rules for board games. And then it's just the permutation of all those rules jammed together and how they work. So if you can remember the differences, you're fine. Uh, and so I think it's important, like we'll talk about, like, I think there's 15 or 16 of them, these different mechanics, and then games that kind of epitomize that. Some of them are gateway games, some of them are not. But the idea here is these are the games, if you want to teach somebody specifically yeah, how to play a deck building game, this is the game you should play, right? So that's what we're going to run through. Yeah, and we've obviously practiced this and gone through this on BJ Live, and obviously over, I think we're, we're closing in on nine years of conferences, events, programs, where our job is teaching these games. So again, check out this feature review because I think this is going to be a list of games that you're going to want to have in your collection, have handy, or pick up so that you can help people get into the hobby. All right, Anthony, but before we get into our feature review, there's a lot of stuff going on in the industry. And in particular, one of our favorite companies out there, Fantasy Flight Games, what are they up to these days? Yeah, I, I threw this on the spreadsheet because I had to mention it because it was like <laughs> mind blowing to me because they've had this very specific model for nine years now, 10 years for how to run their living card games, right? So if you've ever backed or like back, I say back because Kickstarter, right? If you've ever bought any of Fantasy Flight's living card games, you know that you get a big box and then every month you get a little tiny pack with 60 cards in it. And then once or twice a year, you get a slightly bigger box, right? That's how they do it, right? And they get you for yeah. $100, $150 a year monthly. <laughs> what they're doing, though, 
And this is their biggest LCG is Arkham Horror, the card game. This is the big yes. one. They make the most money on this currently, although Marvel's catching up, uh, is they are getting rid of the monthly packs completely. They're wow. just like, nope, we're done with it. We're not doing it anymore. And they've done, I think this game launched in 2014, I think, 2015. No, sure. I was living here. So 2015, I think. So it's been out like five, six years. And they've done cycle every year for this pack, mm-hmm. for this game, right? And so what they're doing now is two boxes. One has all of the different character cards that you would get mm-hmm. through a full cycle, which would be a deluxe wow. expansion plus six to eight monthly expansions. So all the content you would buy basically in a year for Arkham Horror. And then the other box has all of these scenarios that you would run through in that deluxe box and the six to eight mm-hmm. it, you know, uh, investigator packs that come with it. And the thing is, like, together, at first, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Because together, it's $100. Yeah. One of them is 60 one of them is 40 Sure. But it's replacing an entire cycle, which is typically, like, 120 130 if you bought all this stuff. So for people who sure. buy everything, which is me, this is actually saving you some money. Uh, for people who don't want all the new scenarios or who don't want all the new characters, you only have to buy one. Because the stuff sure. is still compatible with the previous sets. If you just want the new scenarios and you're happy with all your player cards, mm-hmm. you just buy that. I know this is starting to sound like an ad, but mostly it's just me being like flabbergasted by them changing the formula and then thinking to myself, what does this mean for their other games? Right? Because sure. Arkham Horror is their big one. So if they're doing it with this one, they're almost certainly going to do it with the rest. Yes. So uh, the Legend of the Five Rings, I think they're done with that. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the card game. They said they're on hiatus. They're taking a break. So it means it's coming back. Amazon. Marvel Champions is Amazon. Yeah. When the show launches, probably that's coming back. Second edition. <laughs> uh, Marvel Champions, the card game is following a slightly similar formula. We get a new hero pack every month, but then they throw in like a deluxe expansion every like six months uh, with like a story mode in it. So I'm like, are we going to get like, a huge like 60 to a hundred dollar X-Men box for Marvel champions. Are we going to get like a whole saga set for Lord of the Rings instead of like all these little packs? What are you going to do with this? So I like Arkham horror. I bought all the stuff for it. I'm way behind on it, but it's the other stuff I'm excited for. I want to know how they're going to use this formula for other games. So I don't know. What do we think? That's me prognosticating. I don't really know. (laughs) I'm wondering if this goes back to our conversation last week about crowdfunding kind of killing board game expansions where companies just want to have all their money up front. So there isn't the risk that somebody just tapers off with the monthly, you know, kind of like packs that come out, like buy it all at once. And therefore we have your money, you have your content and everyone's happy. Um, Right. So maybe this is just a further expansion of that kind of model because they see what's going on in Kickstarter and they just like, would they buy everything? Clearly we would. We we've come around to the (laughs) fact that, yeah, if you were wondering about that answer, yes, the answer is yes. We will spend $300 to own every expansion before we even played the uh, base game. So that's on us. Uh, Yeah. yeah, We're, we're sorry. (laughs) We're very, very sorry about that so that's what really it kind of it speaks to me in that tone but as you mentioned it's not even just the 2014 or 2015 i mean this has been fantasy flights model for i mean so long i mean we're talking 
right going back even star wars and all of the other ones i mean there mm-hmm. the, there's so many of them out there and that was kind of like that was their bread and butter that was the thing to kind of go to the store for that was the thing that drove you back into your flsgs and just like that's surprising it's really surprising that they're doing that i don't know if it's better or worse it's like having those tv shows like binge watched or you know watching the one at a time and having some time in between i don't i don't know i mean obviously uh we're gonna buy this so (laughs) yeah no i'm that's i'm gonna buy it yeah once i did the math and i was like yeah i'll buy it (laughs) i don't know um here's the thing though like a a friend of mine pointed this out too like there are other issues at play here like supply chain costs they ship a pack of something every single month for each of these lcgs if they could consolidate that and only have to do it once or twice a year that saves them money on shipping it saves them money on packaging they don't have all those little plastic clamshells it's probably better for the environment because it's less plastic uh it's so they're going to save a lot of money there and cut their margins down which i know it's a cynical thing to think about but it's asthma day so that's almost certainly what they're thinking about and it helps them set up for a new model for future games i think that's the big thing right What's the next LCG? Because right now they're only running two. And historically, they run three to five. So sure. what are they going to do next? And how does this precede that, right? Like, what is it going to look like for Lord of the Rings LCG 2.0 or whatever sure. other Game thing of that was? Or Game of Thrones again, because there's a new TV show coming out next year. Uh, maybe they bring back Star Wars eventually, because eventually people will not be tired of Star Wars, right? We're all burnt out right now. But maybe eventually <laughs> we'll be ready for it. So I don't know. Like... This means things for all of these games, not just this one. I'm excited for this one, but other games too are going to be affected by it. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that, I think on the other side, as as a positive, one of the problems of these LCG model, especially with Marvel Champions, because I know that you really love it. I haven't been able to get into it because to be honest with you, I haven't seen any characters I really want to play with. So if there was, if that was expedited where there were more characters coming out maybe x-men came out more kind of like you said sagas were kind of involved it might draw more people to the table because again since we are the kind of people that will buy everything at once i mean look at simon what they've done with marvel united when they do a kickstarter there's like it's not just like one character or a couple of characters and you wait to the next kickstarter it's like a hundred characters it's all of them, i yeah. mean <laughs> it's all of them all at once and then that's the kind of thing that draws me in because if you're like oh cool you get to play x-men but you get to play with these four or five x-men i'm like eh, you get to play with all of them <laughs> just like sure now now you yeah. got my attention kids now you got my attention so no it's a good yeah. point like i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about it later the guardians of the galaxy set that came out for champions sure but if, if you bought the galaxy's most wanted like their deluxe expansion it came with rocket and groot and that was it and you had to yeah. wait a full month to get star lord and gamora Not the cool. leaders of the Ro- the guardians and then drax <laughs> isn't even out yet he comes out like yeah. next week so if they all came packed together that would have been much better it was weird and dumb because this particular model doesn't work for that kind of thing, right? And so if you're going to release true. X-Men in the future, you cannot release a set where you have two X-Men. You can't do it. You need a set no. to come with at least five, right? To get the, the like the at least the original five. So maybe it's, I keep thinking X-Men. They're going to do it. So that's what I'm thinking of, right? That's what, yeah. That makes a lot more sense. All right, cool. So uh, we'll keep track of that and let you know about the updates from Fantasy Flight Games. Obviously, a lot of exciting 
uh, changes being put on there. Uh, but Anthony, we want to talk about our own Patreon account and our exciting updates and changes. We have a new Patreon that added this week. So why don't you let us, everyone know about our new Patreon supporting us and uh, what new things will be in the feed upcoming. Yeah, I know. Uh, thank you to Thomas, uh, our brand new $2 backer on Patreon. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Thomas is going to have access to several of our bonus episodes, as well as access to our Slack group and our regular content updates that we put out on Patreon. If you join us at the well, $2 level or higher, you're going to get awesome content every week. But $5 level or higher, you get access to all of our bonus content and as well as our slack channel and everything else that we push out um if you want a preview of that tune in (gasps) next week we might have a very special episode in which you get a special preview of what that entails so uh yeah it's a lot of fun and we obviously appreciate everybody who backs us at any level uh you guys are awesome you help us bring the episode out every week uh because obviously all this costs money the hosting the equipment the streaming our faces that you see right now it's all it all has expense uh and so you help us make it happen absolutely and we have some exciting updates that we'll be talking about in the near future about some new endeavors some new programming and some big surprises upcoming and all that's due to our patreon backers all that's due to all of our listeners who continue to share the podcast and let you know all the publishers know out there that uh we're not just anonymous. We have a whole community out there. So thanks again for all of your support. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with us. Let's talk about what's going on with our listeners and our viewers. What's our question of the week? All right. We've talked about video games a little bit already, and we talked about mechanics a little bit already. So sure. question of the week, what's a video game mechanic or concept you'd like to see migrate to board games? Ooh. So I feel like I'm seeing a lot of board game mechanics migrating back to video games lately. So Absolutely. we have... This whole deck building roguelike genre that's developing on Steam with games like Slay the Spire or Monster Train, which are amazing and I love them. Um, And there's a bunch more. There's a new one that just came out this week. I can't remember what it's called. But what about the other direction? Like what other mechanics can we take from video games? And there's been plenty, but new ones. What new ones can we take? So uh, a few good answers here. A good uh, friend and listener of the show, David, says a cool mechanic would be allowing friends to join you mid-game rather than having to wait until the current game ends. They could join with a score in line with current players and a selection of cards or components so the game stays competitive. So, uh, especially for like really long games, just being able to jump in, kind of like a, you know, like an arcade game almost. Throw your quarter in and just jump in wherever you happen to be, right? Sure. Uh, Jeffrey mentions achievements. So... They don't necessarily have any effect on who wins the game, but they could give players who are clearly out of contention something else to shoot for or encourage alternative strategies. Mm -hmm. Some games have done this a little bit, like Scythe has achievements, but they're not like a core part of the gameplay. It's almost like just a page on the back of the the rule book where they're like, this is also a thing you could do, like build it into the game. That'd be cool. Uh, Some other stuff. Uh, Red Meeple Ryan over on Twitter, he says... Uh, the ability to save the game state or progress seems like something that would be useful in other games. It has been done in some games. I know like Seventh Continent does it, but a lot of games mm-hmm. that could do it do not. So it'd be interesting. Sure. Um, there is, uh, you know, taking that legacy mechanic and applying it to other types of games. I know a lot keep trying to do it, but none of them really do it right. That's what a video game really is. You know, it's a legacy game. Like you 
go through a certain story point, the world changes, you keep going. Like it's always progressing. Board games are like a little snippet of that and they reset. So finding a way to replicate that idea of constant progression without necessarily tearing up your cards, which would be, would be interesting. Um, and then P- PJK tweets says free patches when it's broken. So misprints, broken <laughs> me- mechanisms, bad rule book. Absolutely. New updates all delivered via your friendly local game store. That would be love amazing. That. Yeah. Yeah. Kemet, Kemet blood and sand has a, they're good. They're redoing the rule book. Cause it's terrible. We talked about this a few weeks ago, terrible rule book. But if I want the updated rule book, I'm gonna have to print it out, which is going to cost me like 10 or $15 because yeah. color ink's expensive. Sure. They should just send it to me. I want the rule book. You know? They should, <laughs> which yeah. obviously costs them money too. But, um, that would be pretty cool. That that's a problem of physical media, I know, but it would be kind of cool if they could figure out a way to do it. Very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things to learn from the video game industry that they've kind of moved back or been able to produce. Um, you know, I I think as you mentioned, having the updates is something that video games do so much better because by the time again we talked about this last week, by the time you get an expansion or now there's no longer an expansion available so there isn't that patch there's content but there's not necessarily patching that's going on in the board gaming industry as much as there is in the video game industry but then again video games used to be a complete package more or less and now it's like you know this is kind of broken not fixed and eventually we'll get around to it so enjoy right. it while we work on it it's <laughs> just like right <laughs> you're like oh that's that's painful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I guess for me, the thing that I would really like to see, we constantly see again and again, new versions, 2.0 versions of games. But sometimes when they 2.0 version of a game, sometimes the previous expansion or characters or materials are not... Um, I don't know what I'm trying to think. I lost the term in my head, but something that's not like reversible. Like, you know how video games, they you can go back and you can, you can play an older video game on a new system. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm talking about here because I know that I have a lot of games and they've come out with the 2.0 system. So now I have all this stuff. I understand the base game no longer plays, but I have all these expansions, all these characters, all these promo cards. You can't use that anymore. And it's just like, but why? Why can't it be? Here you go. Um, you know, just why can't it be compatible in some way? You know, retro compatible, background compatible kind of thing. Um, I would love to be able to use my old content in my new game in some way. And sometimes video games do that. Sometimes you can, you know, bring stuff over from the old system into your new game. So if that was a way, that would be great because there's a lot of great characters and a lot of great pieces of artwork and a lot of great promo cards and pieces that would be great if you could, you know, implement it in a new system. How about you, Anthony? Anything? Yeah, I mean, I really like yours. Um, I've been playing the Mass Effect Legendary Edition uh, oh, recently. Okay. And one of the cool things about those games is that when you finished one of the games, you could carry over some of the progress and decisions you'd made into the next game, right? Yeah. I think that would be pretty cool, right? Because you have, like, similar to what you're saying, you have, like, a first edition goes into a second edition or a sequel to a game, you know, like, especially story-driven games. Mm-hmm. What if the decisions you made or the results of your game in one section carried over to the next one, right? Sure. And you could just kind of just bring it forward. And I think the only game I can think of that's really done that, 
and I'm sure there's like a bunch of Kickstarter games that have done that and you can all reach out and tell us which ones they are. But um, I know the pandemic legacy games to some degree have some carryover from game to mm-hmm. game, but even that's not like a ton, right? I would like to see that idea. I mean, video games don't even do it that much because it's hard, sure. but it'd be cool, right? Just, I, I destroyed everybody in game one of, you know, Agricola. Let's do Caverna now. And I carry over X, Y, Z from Caverna or something like that. You know, that'd be cool. Very cool. So again, if you'd like to join in on our question of the week, hit us up every week. And in fact, every day there's questions up there on Facebook and on Twitter, all our social medias. And again, if for some reason you can't find us out there in the world, please check us out on YouTube. We have an account there. Would love for you to subscribe. Uh, These episodes are video, so you can actually see us live in person, not to mention BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Check it out. There's a lot of content there, and there's some new changes upcoming. So stick with us as we produce more and more board game content. So hopefully one day in the future, board games are as cool and backwards compatible and forward thinking and just connective as uh, we love to have at the table. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's talk about the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right, yeah, I have a, a fun one this week. This is a game I've known about for a little while, but um, I think we're getting close to it finally releasing, so I'm excited. And that is Summoner Wars 2nd Edition. Sure. Uh, this is <laughs> a game that originally came out in 2009. I, I know you were just talking about 2nd Edition, so here we go. Um Designed by Colby Doc, who is the founder of Plaid Hat Games. This is Plaid Hat's first game. It yep. what put them on the map. And then they got into Mice and Mystics. They made a bunch of money and Asmodee bought them. And then now they're free from Asmodee and they're re-releasing Summoner Wars. It's a whole saga. But this is a game that we really got into like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Right when we like back in the myriad days, we were playing a lot of Summoner sure. Wars. And essentially what it is, is a card driven war game. Right. So instead of the miniatures, you have cards and you have this big map when a grid where you place the cards and they move forward and some have defensive abilities, some have offensive abilities. You have various, uh, you know, um, resources that you use to spend to play the cards out. Uh, you have health that you're trying to manage. You are one of these summoners. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the whole magic idea where you are a mage throwing all these different things out. And if you manage to knock out the health of your opponent first, you win pretty simple right it's very familiar to a lot of other games like this right there's mage wars there's again magic the gathering there's almost any two-player war game uh similar mechanics but what made this game really stand out is you had these unique factions that you could purchase and there would be starter sets you could buy one v1 starter sets and the new version is going to have that Uh, i think the first one is a phoenix elves versus the tundra orcs and then they had like master sets, which would come with, I think, six of these different factions. And then sure. you'd have expansions that went on top of that. So I think at one point I had the first edition master set with maybe four or five additional expansions. So maybe 10 total uh, factions to work with. And they were all very unique. They played very differently. And then you could actually get like mercenary cards and actually do a little bit of deck building and change those decks and change them out a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, so if you're familiar with games like Ashes, Phoenix Born, like similar idea, but this was like the original thing that they did. Yeah. So the second edition is coming along and it's going to basically take all that. It's got new artwork. It's going to reintroduce a lot of these factions. Um, 
same factions, I think, all of them, and then tweak a few of the rules just to like modernize it because the game is 12 years old. And the really cool thing is you can play the physical version in person or you can just play online. They're going to have a browser-based app. You can just play it, any of these factions online. So definitely not a thing I don't think Asmodee would have let them do. But Mm -hmm. now because they are independent again, we're going to get this awesome online app where we get to play Summoner War 2nd Edition. Um, There was an iPad app for the original first edition, but I don't know that it runs anymore because of, you know, all the updates to iOS and all that nonsense. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this. I don't have my first edition copy anymore. I think I passed it on at some point because other games surpassed it. So I'm excited for this to come back to get a chance to play it again. I think my son's old enough now that I could probably sit down <laughs> and play it with him. So, yeah, Summoner War second edition coming sometime soon. Pretty excited. So... I, I still own this. I I bought the, I guess, the master set that actually had the real board instead of the paper kind of map set up. And I bought a couple of the boxes. This was after we had played it at our local friendly game store. So I was like, oh, I remember this. I like this. I picked up the base set. I picked up the, the I think I picked up the, I guess, the dual packs, I think, at Barnes & Noble sales. And then as time went on, there there was a lot of the separate individual packs. And now that they're coming out with the second edition, there's all of those individual packs from the first edition that are just like clearance. Uh, so it's 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 a hard decision. Like, I don't know what to do with my set. I love the artwork in the new set. That was the one thing that was kind of a drawback for me with the old one. I get the art aesthetic that they were going for, which was very realistic and grimy and dirty and stuff like that. It was cool. It was just not my art aesthetic. This one, like you said, like Ashes, it's a lot more, um, I guess, it's more of that beauty artwork, that high fantasy kind of thing instead of a realistic kind of grind it out. The new edition obviously has some improvements, has some you know changes to the cards and things like that. And obviously, I, I mean, it's hard to say that it's not a better edition. I got to believe it's got to be a better edition, especially once we get it in our hands and, and do a review of it. I don't know if I need to get rid of my first edition. Again, talking about compatibility, I would love to be able to go both ways with this, backwards compatible, or just... Either way, I would just love to be able to continue to play with what I have in the new set, and I don't know how to do that yet. So <laughs> I'm not sure, because I, as you said, Anthony, I'm kind of torn about this. I really did enjoy some Summoner Wars, despite the artwork just not being my thing. It was a lot of fun. I have the app. I had a bunch of the ex- the expansions on the app and I, I came back and I played it, but the first edition was very much like get out your major heroes at the expense of your minor units because you have to build magic and sometimes you would even kill your minor units. So I was like, oh, I got my champions out, go do a thing and then let's see who, who wins. This version is supposed to kind of like account for that instability so that even the minor units have more of a role. So... I'm looking forward to it. It's a great system. And I think a lot of people enjoy it. Again, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my old edition and all the packs because it's it's tempting to kind of clean up and pick up all the small individual packs that you could make a good... It's still a very good game. Even the first edition's good game. So yeah, that's oh, really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about something that, uh, again, that is a new edition of a game that we've played a lot, but it's not a kind of reprint. It's actually a new 
set in this ongoing story. So I'm going to talk about now or never. Now, that might sound familiar to you because it's one of Ryan Lockett's new games from Red Raven Games. And you know about his his games because they're so unique in their storytelling and their artwork because he does it all. And this is the third game in the series from Near and Far and Above and Below. Now, he has so many great games. I particularly loved his Empires of the Void 2, but I never got more than one play, and it was a problematic play at a conference, but we won't get into that at the moment. But Above and Below, I, I really enjoyed that work replacement element and that storytelling element to it, and Near and Far was a nice kind of uh, follow-up to this. Now or Never takes the story a, a, an additional step. This crystal meteorite has landed uh, in their village area, and the villagers have to leave, and there's a lot of destruction going on. And now the villagers, who are refugees, now return back to reclaim their land. So you play as one of four asymmetrical characters that's going back to explore what happened, why it happened, what are these creatures, and to rebuild the village. So there is a story mode to this, and then there is just a standard playthrough mode for this. And that's what I really liked with Above and Below and Near and Far. So you can actually play this two different ways if you really want to play into the story or if you just want to have a, a quick game to kind of play through it. So again, it's not just the standard kind of like you know moving your character through to take the places, but there is a tile placement element because you are rebuilding your village. And based upon how you rebuild this four by five square with your village tiles, uh, there's a lot of different things that can occur and a lot of kind of like story elements that kind of take place. It's a competitive game. It's not a co-op game. You will be using each other's specialists to kind of benefit each other. And it's about, you know, being the best hero of the day, saving the villagers, saving the village, and uh, rebuilding your ancient home. There isn't really any kind of major photos other than the kind of box photo, but I really like Ryan Lockett's aesthetic here. And his storytelling is always solid because it's never traditionally standard straight ahead it's always kind of like quirky and twisty around the way uh i i remember just like one really cute thing where it was like i think it was above and below and i'm, I'm gonna spoil this just one little key element but it's it's not a big thing it's just you see all these rusty robots you know kind of these automatons walking through this kind of cavern and you hear the rust and, you know, like, what do you do? What do you do? And I'm like, well, you got to go oil them. You happen to have the oil. You can oil them. You could make the day better. And you go ahead and do that. And, of course, when you do that, it was the rust that was holding them together. So they all fell apart. And I was just like, boom. Like, you you think that there's a good or a bad, like an evil or a good kind of way. And this was just kind of like life. This was kind of a random decision that you made to kind of do a thing. And then everything literally fell apart. And it's just like. All right, so this guy's at a next level. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Now or Never. Uh, it's not out yet, but it should be soon. And, uh, again, if you have not played Ryan Lockett's games, you should, because I, I think they're a unique treasure uh, in the board game industry. Cool. Not for me, but I, I just yeah. don't... The, the the storytelling stuff in his games is not... I don't know. It doesn't engage me as much. I do like... The artwork and then like mm -hmm. the mechanical simplicity of some of his games is very interesting. I want to play Sleeping sure. Gods. I haven't played that yet, but yep. Above and Below and Near and Far just didn't click with me for some reason. So cool. we'll see how this All goes. right. So those are the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table or the tablet. 
And we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should right now pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. So if those games are the dreaded burn and you oil them up really sufficiently that they fall apart, well, that's fine because they're terrible games. So Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier uh, and I wanted to talk about Marvel Champions, the card game, uh, specifically the Galaxy's Most Wanted. This is the newest deluxe expansion uh, that they released in April for Mm -hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy. So how this works typically is every month Marvel Champions releases a hero pack. And if you go back far enough, they were releasing villain packs, but they stopped doing that when they released the uh, Red Skull pack, which was... I think last summer. And so now what they do is it seems like every six to nine months, they're going to release one of these um, kind of story driven expansions where it has multiple scenarios and different villains that you're going to face along with a couple new heroes. So this is $40. It comes with Groot and Rocket and it comes with five uh, scenarios, um, four different villains over five scenarios that each kind of play into each other. Like there's a story element to it. So in this case, you have, Drang of the Brotherhood of Badoon, mm-hmm. the collector who you face twice, once nice. when you're breaking into his collection and once when you're running away, <laughs> uh, Nebula, and Ronan the Accuser. So they're they're hewing pretty closely to the MCU stuff that people would know other than the Badoon, which is sure. not in the MCU at all that I'm aware of. Uh, so, And the idea here is what makes this unique is each of these kind of plays into the next. They get a little bit harder for each one, but also there is a whole separate array of cards that at the end of each scenario, you get to score your performance. Um, If you win, if you don't, you do it again. But if you win, you score your performance, you get a certain number of points, you get to buy cards that you then put into your deck. And these cards are generally good. (laughs) Like um, they cost as little as two points. They cost as many as seven or eight. You can save those points up between different scenarios. So maybe you only score two points in one scenario. You're going to save them up, use them in the next one that you do really well in. Now you have eight, you get one of the really powerful cards and those really powerful cards. You can only use once a game, but they're really powerful. There'll be things like draw five extra cards or have sure. five extra energy to use or destroy one random villain, right? Things that just break the game a little bit, but in a fun way. Uh, so the game is generally the same. There's no like huge changes here. Um, obviously you have rocket who has, all these of his different, you know, enhancements and weapons that he uses. Uh, that's what his deck is built on. Groot is all about these various growths and like building up these different counters on him that you then get to use. Um, he's incredibly good at defense, which makes sense from what we know of Groot. He's made, you know, in, impenetrable tree matter, whatever it is. Right? There you go. Uh, so in terms of the characters, I really, really like Groot. He's a lot of fun to play. Rocket, a little less so. He's kind of like a smaller weaker iron man almost like um in this game at least so i it's fine he's probably more fun with like three or four players which is never how i play this game but in this particular pack eh. but groot is a lot of fun groot is really good you could just straight up solo this stuff with groot it's, it's really good uh in terms of the villains uh drang was pretty standard and forgettable stuff the collector scenarios were a lot of fun because again, the, the first one you're trying to break into his collection, uh, and it, there's like all these different unique mechanics where he's like taking things from you. Like your cards will go to his collection, and if he gets enough of them in the collection, I think ten of them, 
then you lose. So he's taken too much of your stuff. And wow. now, you, now you just lose. Um, escaping from his collection is also a lot of fun because there's multiple different scenario milestones where you're trying to get to this ship. And then you have this ship and you're trying to shoot down his ship. Um, because the Milano is in here as like a special card kind of outside the normal deck, which is a lot of fun. Um, Nebula is cool. She has all these like technology enhancements and they're, they're basically really powerful cards that kick you really hard. But once she uses them, they go away and they go back into her deck and they come back out. Uh, and then Ronan, the accuser is just, he's a jerk. <laughs> like, he's really strong. He kicks your butt. Like there's nothing like surprising about that. He's similar to Ultron or, Krang or any of these other like big heavy duty guys that have come out in the past. Uh, Red's well, he's a little bit harder than Red Skull. So these are legitimately hard. They were difficult to do. Sure. But they weren't that hard. Like Fantasy Flight was going on and on about like, we made the game harder. You guys said it was too easy. We made it harder. <laughs> and a, f- a friend and I sat down and we played through with uh, Star Lord and Gamora, who weren't, they're not in this pack. They're like separate mm-hmm. hero packs that came out in, in May. But obviously they're part of this because it's Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and then he switched from Star-Lord to Groot about halfway through because Star-Lord wasn't very good as the base, like as his deck is built. Gamora is insane. She just, she destroys everybody. Her events, like she does so much damage. And then Groot does so much defense that we got through the set with the base decks without doing any deck building. I think in nine games, so we lost four times total. So a little harder, but not crazy hard. But it was a lot of fun. So if you're a big fan of Marvel Champions, definitely pick this up. Lots of good stuff. Creative ideas. The mi- mixing and matching the different Guardians is a lot of fun. I'm excited for Drax. If you are like looking for the one set of Marvel Champions to kind of latch on to, um, I guess it, it still comes back to which heroes and which elements of the Marvel universe you like best. And if you're playing the game and thinking, man, this is too easy. I want a real challenge. I don't know that they really hit it yet. I don't, this is really good. And it was a lot of fun, but again, we only lost four times out of nine. Um, We still had a positive win rate. So I'm happy. I I had fun. I will play it again. And certain characters were not great. (laughs) Star-Lord was not good in this particular uh, scenario set. Rocket Raccoon was also not super great, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see what they do next. Drax is coming out, then Venom, and then they're doing the Thanos and his crew. But I don't know what heroes are coming next. So sure. Uh, uh, after the Red Skull, which was kind of a big letdown, not very fun, not very interesting, didn't really grow on things. This was yeah. much, much better. So for me, it's a buy. Nice. I definitely recommend it. Cool. Yeah, then it's exciting to see that they're up, upgrading, especially when it's a solo co- co-op kind of experience. You need to be you know, slapped around a little bit when you play those games. So if you're winning too often, that just, it loses all the fun, unfortunately. So (laughs) very cool. All right. Well, I briefly wanted to talk about a game that I did get to the table, but I got onto steam and this is called slipways. This is a new game that just came out this past week and reminded me why I wasn't getting more cardboard to the table. That was because I was spending an immense amount of time trading in the universe. So, one of the things that we love to do when it comes to board gaming are 4X board games. So explore the map with units, expand the size of you know your vast empire, uh, exploit the resources of the territories and natures, 
and then obviously exterminate because, you know, I don't know why, but nonetheless, that's a thing. Well, in slipways, there is three of the X's because in space, that vast, there's no need to uh, exterminate. There's no need to war when you could trade all the time. So this game came out and it's a very simple, straightforward game of economic development within your little kind of uh, administrative empire, so to speak. So basically what you're doing is you're connecting through these slipstreams, through these kind of pathways from one planet to the other in order to utilize the resources from one planet to be able to build and create and grow industry and grow prosperity on the planet somewhere else. But obviously, if both planets need the same things or can trade the same things, they both benefit. And eventually what happens is you build this elaborate web of planets, how they all link together based upon do they need people, do they need robots, do they need minerals, do they need food, do they need algae, whatever it is that they need, they're able to connect together and be able to build up. As you're building up this web, as this economic development is concerned, you're also building up this tech tree. So you're building up science and innovation that you can go back and now break the rules because you are going to be guided by these ancient civilizations as you provide the administration for this vast network. And they're going to give you tasks to go on, opportunities to benefit from those tasks. And as you kind of align yourself with these different alien kind of empires and part of your council, which you get to select at the beginning of the game, you'll also be able to get perks from that. So maybe you'll be able to extend your slipways even further than you would normally be allowed to do. Or maybe you'll even be allowed to blow up entire planets because they're getting in the way of your economic development. So Slipways is now live on Steam. It runs for about $16.99. It's well worth the price. It's not really a traditional 4X. Don't look for a 4X. Look for an economic development. Look for a puzzle game. Look for a press-your-luck game because a lot of times... You can't find locally what you're looking for, so you have to probe out and basically build your planets out, hoping that the next planet will link to the ones that you have. Because if they don't, and you're not able to get the things that the other planets need, your happiness goes down. Eventually, you get kicked out of office because you've been a terrible administrator, and that's basically what happens. Uh, this is an upgraded game, really good artwork, uh, really good kind of ambiance for the game. And I liked it a lot, and it's a buy for me. Yeah, yeah. I, you sent me the link to this a couple of days before it came out, and I did buy it as well. I've played it a few times. Not as much as you, but i played it a few sure. times. It is definitely a puzzle game. It, it is. is. Exactly how it feels. It's not yeah. like they pitch it as like this, like, oh, it's space exploration, whatever. It's not nope. what it is. It's definitely <laughs> a puzzle game. Uh, and it's hard. I'm it bad is. at this. I need to play more. <laughs> I... I haven't gotten through 20 years yet. I keep getting oh. booted out of office. Yeah, they're like, I, because it's difficult. You have to like probe a whole bunch and then like look at all these different planets and then figure out how to connect them. But if you start connecting stuff before you do all that, you've already lost. Sure. There's no point, yeah. right? You got to do all the probing first. Um, it's a lot of fun though. I really like it. Yeah, and each planet gives you a number of different ways to produce resources or take in resources or trade resources. Right. So it's not just one planet does one thing, but you get to choose, which is a lot of fun. The technology upgrades are a lot of fun. I think it took my third play to be successful, but it really is, like you said, Anthony, 
they they frame it as a 4x it's not a 4x it's not even a 3x in some respects it's a puzzle game with a press your luck element because you always have to go i hope i can get resources for this planet or i hope i could trade stuff for this planet so uh i'm really liking the game it's really great yep all right so that's what's going on on our tables and our tablets let's get on to our feature review so our feature review again is the best games to teach specific mechanics as simple as possible so whether you're getting new gamers to the table or you're looking to put together a collection that teaches all of the great games that are out there these games are the best gateway entry games in order to learn mechanics now oftentimes we talk about gateway games entry-level games family games games that you can get with large groups of people but we often don't talk about what the mechanics are that we're trying to teach here so these games should be fantastic for teaching whatever it is that you want to eventually get to the table that might be just a little bit heavier. So Anthony, you put this list together. What were you looking to do? Yeah, so other than just giving you a bunch of gateway games in each category, which a lot of these are, to be fair, but what we wanted to do is look at a few factors. One, the weight, right? The games yes. need to be accessible. Because if you're teaching a new mechanic, it can't be crazy difficult. We can't be like worker placement, the gallerist, right? It can't be a Vitalis Herda game if we're trying to teach new people. Uh, mechanical purity, so like limiting how many other mechanics are mixed in there. Because a lot of games use a ton of different mechanics. And you can say, that's a really good deck building game. You're like, yeah, but it's also area control and worker placement. And you're like, well, okay, that's a mess. Um, availability, so it needs to be a game that you can actually find and play with people. Uh, digital implementation when possible. This was not like a huge part of it, but it was a little bit like which of these games can you play online, which is a good way to help teach people. Sure. And then the thematic draw, like trying to avoid games that were so narrowed down, to, like such a specific sure. theme that was would only really a appeal to certain people, right? Which yeah. we'll talk about in a couple specific instances why we didn't pick certain games. So... It's not like a hard and fast set of rules, but that was kind of what we were thinking as we built the list. Very cool. All right, Anthony, what do you have up for us first? All right. So the first one, which was ironically the most difficult, is worker placement. Oh, so yeah. So my, my initial placement for this was Lords of Waterdeep, but the thematic draw does limit it a little bit. A lot of people are like, I don't really want to play a Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> right? Fair enough. Plus, we right? should also mention that the workers go out and never come back. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> gone forever uh so i i this is the one category where i picked two games because you get kind of two different levels here so first up is viticulture essential edition this is like the one worker placement game at, at it's accessible it's like a two to three weight it's thematically like all encompassing everybody's fine with the wine growing theme nobody has like oh weird gross and it's relatively simple, right? The thing about this game that makes it a little more complicated than just basic teaching worker placement is that there are different types of workers. Sure. So to that end, other option, Raiders of the North Sea, which is even simpler, right? Taking out the different types of workers, introducing cards. Like these, you're going to place workers out and then take workers back and resolve actions. Sure. But it's a fairly straightforward worker placement game. This is like one of the basic ones if you want to teach people stuff. So it's a few different options there. 
depending on what you're going for. But worker placement is worker placement, and it's it's in everything. Um, and the initial games that introduced this theme or this mechanic were a little bit heavier. So we're not going to like talk about dominant species. That's too heavy. Uh, these ones do it well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I guess once uh, all the Lords of Waterdeep go out, they eventually end up at the farm on Viticulture. So I, I think it's fine. Right. I think it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all out there somewhere. They're not. They're, they're fine, man. They're, they're, they're resting life. on the farm. Yeah. And I think that's a, especially with Viticulture, that's a really interesting element because I think that's one of the things that oftentimes we don't think about in worker placement is that you can have different types of workers that do different types of things. And especially with Viticulture, it's not just whereas Lords of Waterdeep is just like throw out your people and hopefully you made good choices. But Viticulture, it really is a painful position because the number of workers you get is so small and you have to make decisions over the whole year. So it's not like here's 10 workers, get 10 workers back. Here's 10 workers. It's like here's like four workers and maybe you get a mom and a papa kind of thing. And then you're just like, ah, no, ah. Uh, you know so yeah very painful all right what do you have up next all right next up is tableau building so again we're we're looking at simple themes that everybody loves we're looking at mechanical purity we're just building out a tableau and doing cool stuff with it relatively accessible weight the only game that could this could be is wingspan there you go (laughs) that's that's the game right that's the game that sold like half a million copies everybody's buying it out of the new york times uh yeah i mean this it's birds. You're putting birds out. They all do special things. They all interact with each other based on you know which row or column you put them in. Yeah, about as simple as it gets. Yeah, and I and I think you could do like you said, Anthony, do no better as far as a game that kind of meets everyone's conditions. But tableau building again on two levels: one that's very simple and straightforward as far as when things trigger, because that's very important in tableau building, but also the different environments. I think that's a, a, a next level kind of thing that's interesting for most people and very easy to do. Very easy to kind of manage those three levels. Yeah, I love it. All, All right, right, what do you have next? Uh, n- yeah, next one is, I'm going straight simple here. Uh, Ooh. Deck or bag building. It's still Dominion, right? Oh the my original God. deck building <laughs> game. Like a lot of these original games we were talking about like the game that introduced the mechanic to everybody, they don't, they hold up as games, but maybe not as the representation of the genre. Sure. I think Dominion still does. I think if someone said, I have never played a deck building game before, where do I start? I would still be like, yeah, probably Dominion. Yeah, I think our friend Dave would be very happy with this. And I and I think one of the things that's great about Dominion as far as a as a deck builder is concerned, or that idea that you you're putting together a particular uh machine to kind of run run a play, is that dominion really covers everything all the expansions cover every variation of the deck builder mechanic whether it's you know take that mechanic or score points or score money or build things up i mean there's just it's dominion man yeah i mean it's a, and there's like 80 versions of it so if you want to play dominion many ways to do so <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so moving on to area control and just general throwing guys onto a map to control various spaces. I kind of combined a few things here, but because you don't want to get too crazy in the weeds and mechanics, but 
I think that the easy one on this is Small World, which I know is one of your favorite games, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, Small World, when when I got involved in like hobby board gaming, I the game that I really loved was Risk. And that was an area control game. So when I got into the hobby, I really wanted to have the ultimate area control game. And that's what Small World is, because obviously it's a very simple kind of troops on the map board where you're placing and you're trying to control certain areas. And that control of those areas is scoring you money slash points every round. So it is primarily that. And then there's some different uh, geographical kind of concepts to it and some race and some class kind of concepts to it that enhance the area control. So it is, again, the definitive area control game. And again, what makes it more than anything else so definitive is that the game comes with all the different player counts for the boards. So you're never like playing an area control game where it's a map and somehow now you have to somehow, you know, just, just you know, deal with the fiddliness of the fact that you don't have the full player count. Small World has all different size maps, so the area control is always perfect. Yep, perfect. All right, next up, auction and bidding games. Uh, it had to be a Reiner Knizia game because he's like of the king of auction and bidding <laughs> games. And to me, the one game of his that stands out and there's a bunch of them, but like the one that stands out is like just a pure auction bidding game that does it the best is Raw. Yes. This is a little bit heavier than some other games we could talk about. There's a lot of like lighter, more accessible auction and bidding games. But again, this is not supposed to be gateway games, it's supposed to be like representative teaching. This yeah. game is all, all, all you're doing is bidding on things, right? <laughs> but there's other things you have to think about in relation yeah. to that. So you have. Each round, obviously, you're bidding on these different tiles, and then each of the tiles that you're bidding on, these sets of tiles that you're purchasing, they could give you immediate points. They might prevent negative points you'd get later. They might give you points at the end of the game. There's only three rounds to the game, so you have a relatively limited amount of time in which to bid, and it takes less than an hour. So it's very straightforward, you know. whereas some of his other bidding games, like an Amon Ray or, or some of his other ones, have yeah. other mechanics mixed in. This one is just, you're just bidding on stuff. That's all you're doing, right? Um, and I find it very interesting for that reason. And there's, again, there's lighter stuff that you could kind of pick up as well. But Raw does a really good job of this with the set collection mixed in. And again, what you mentioned, Anthony, the auction bidding is so fantastic because it's not a set, it's not a one-time kind of bid or multiple one-time of bids. It's a press-your-luck kind of bidding. So... Right the what you're bidding on becomes more valuable or possibly less valuable all at the same time based on what tiles come out and right. again bidding you know you're going to change up the the money or the numbers that you have available to bid on so it really is again as you said i think it's the definitive um, auction bidding game and it's the one bidding game that i really do love above everything else and i own a copy of this which is just generally for whatever reason the bidding games don't do it for me raw absolutely does Yep, 100% agree. Yep. Uh, next one here, I know, again, another one of your all-time favorites, uh, card drafting. Sure. And we're going to keep it simple. We're going to keep it Seven Wonders because it's, yeah. it's Seven Wonders, right? And again, the card drafting mechanic as far as pulling cards from a hand and then passing that around, what Seven Wonders does that's so definitive and great is the idea that the different cards have different mechanics. Now, we've seen this in some other games 
But the fact that you're not just pulling, but you're building that tableau that really shows you what you're what you were able to pull together through your drafting and how you hate draft and how you pass a certain way. So you, are they going to take something that they need? Are they getting green cards? Are they getting military? Again, a lot of additional concepts, but perfectly and simply offered in that kind of drafting mechanic for Seven Wonders. Lovely. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, cooperative. So there's two ways we could have gone with this. Could have gone pandemic route. <laughs> uh, we're not a huge fan of that game. Honestly, it's 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 not even really a game anymore. Like base pandemic is more of a mechanic, right? So we're going to go with Forbidden Island slash Desert. Yeah. The game right games that are designed by the same designer as pandemic and kind of use similar ideas, but do it in more creative, interesting ways that honestly is a little more accessible for kids. Yeah. And again, if you're going to play a cooperative game, you don't want to get lost in the weeds with the alpha game, a problem. You don't want to get lost in the, in the, calculations of what is the, what's pulling from the deck and how you want to have it straightforward in front of you because most people who have not played hobby board games probably don't understand the concept of a co-op board game so the clear colorful graphics the actual physical components that come into play how you move the pieces really demonstrates the co-op you know mechanic here probably better than anything and again it's it's fun it's it's just solidly fun it's not just a kids or a family game it's fun across the board and the asymmetrical powers are great and you get to do what you want to do. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Those are good games. Um, so the next one up it's, it's grid movement, but really this is like adventure gaming, right? Uh-huh. So dungeon crawls, <laughs> because those are, you put a guy in a grid, you move him around. Uh, so this, for me, there's so many different games that do this in an interesting way, but I think the most accessible and easiest way to teach this game with a theme that anybody can kind of latch on to. And I know some of you out there are like, it's too kitty. I'm like, I don't care. I've played this with people of all ages and they all love it. It's mice and mystics, right? Sure. It's, it's adventure gaming. It's dungeon crawling boiled down to the basics. And it's not kitty at all. My kids love it, but it's not just for kids. Uh, I've played this with you. I played it with everybody at the, at the game sure. store back in the day. And it's, it's a blast. Absolutely. And again, it's another one of those games that you want to teach the mechanics in a way that's accessible and approachable. And and this just makes all the kind of sense in the world, the way it's it's demonstrated, it's displayed, you're kind of walked through it. And another element to it is when you play some dungeon crawl, the terrain doesn't matter. Here it can matter. How you're going, the different levels, what you're around, what's above and below and things like that. So I, I love that element to it. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, next up is pick up and deliver. So this is a mechanic that often creates slightly more complicated games where you're moving around to different locations, using different types of abilities, picking up different goods, moving them to somewhere else, converting them to something else, and moving them over. The simplest game to really teach the basic idea of this mechanic is Istanbul because it's an accessible game. Like, you have all the cards are in front of you. Everybody can see everything. There's no hidden information. You can explain clearly what every location does and the game only takes like 45 minutes. And then you you go, you pick up what you need to get, you put it in the wheelbarrow, you move it to somewhere else, you convert it, mm-hmm. you turn it in, eventually you get the ruby and that's your victory point, right? It's fairly straightforward. 
there are some like more boiled down ways to look at this game, this type of mechanic, which are boring. This is the most interesting way to do it. So Istanbul uh, is a great game in that way. Absolutely. And again, you could go Yokohama, but then your eyeballs might explode as you play that game. Yep. Istanbul kind of makes it straightforward. And again, it's one of those games that even if you have a base understanding of the game, you're going to have a close, tight game. And that's what I always loved about Istanbul because you could easily visualize the entire board where Yokohama is just like, it's just too much to take in all at once. Istanbul straight to the point. You get to play it, you get to understand it, and you, you kind of move on. Great. Absolutely. All right, next up, trick-taking games. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of good trick-taking games. They're all fairly simple, and there's like old ones that go way back, right? You could play something, you know, from 100 years ago, and it'll teach you the basics of trick-taking. But for me, it's got to be Skull King. Mm-hmm. And part of this is personal. My kids love this game. This is how I taught them trick-taking games. Sure. But the other part of it is, the bidding mechanism in the game, and it's not the only game that does this. A lot of trick-taking games have a bidding system where you bid how many tricks you think you're going to win. But this one in particular with the relatively simple trick-taking formula allows people to better understand how the game operates and gives you something to do on every single hand, which I think is hugely important. Otherwise, people get distracted and sure bored. If they're like, my hand sucks, I can't do anything this round, it's boring, it stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always do something. You bid zero, and then you try to get a zero, right? So, <laughs> Skull King is a blast. Uh, everybody I know loves it, and it's a really good way to teach the mechanic. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where it's not the traditional straightforward, dry kind of uh, trick-taking game. And again, the colorful presentation makes it a lot more fun. And it's like you said, you could just go, let's just shoot the moon at this point. Let's just go zero, right? and let's just let's yep. just make it happen. So you're never in a situation where you just have a terrible hand. A terrible hand is a winning hand sometimes too. So that's great. Right. (laughs) All right. Next up, real-time games. These are generally not popular. People don't like real-time games, but they're fun. They can be a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, The best way to play this and keep it simple and keep it accessible is the Escape series of games, right? There's Mm -hmm. Escape Curse of the Temple, which is the big one. And there's a big box of all the expansions. There's Escape Roll and Write and Escape Zombie City. The game takes 10 minutes because it's real time. It's quick. And the theme is great. You're going into a temple. You're getting something. You're getting out of the temple. And sure, it's this is like the one thing I remember from every convention I go to because inevitably at some point I end up near the booth where they're playing this with the big yeah. loud speaker and the timer's counting down and then it's blaring at them and screaming. <laughs> they have limited time and the people are freaking out. It's fun it's simple the basic idea just like you have to make decisions quickly right and that's sure. what this game is about gotcha yeah i mean again this has always been the game that i think about when i think about real-time games and it really plays well with the theme and there's the big box version of this as well so yeah i i, I don't think there is a better real-time game than this because it really does give you your heart racing it's not just like, oh, we have to do a thing. It's like, oh, no, the world's coming to an end. We have to get out of here as quickly as possible. <laughs> and maybe that's from right. all all those adventure movies, all those Indiana Jones movies that you really feel that kind of come into play. But that's great because it really kind of sp- it really kind of keeps you gripped the whole way. Yep, 100%. All right, next up, set collection. Uh, there are dozens of games I could have picked for this, so I just kept it very simple. Splendor. Uh-huh. Right? You're, you're generating resources, you're collecting sets of specific types of gems, you're using those mm-hmm. specific sets of gems to purchase other gems. And then eventually, 
the people or whatever they're called, the nobles at the top that give you all the points, right? It's simple. It's very, very straightforward. If you play the app or the expansion with some of the extra modules, it does kind of cool things with it. But the base game is so simple. This is gateway set collection at its basic, at its most basic. Sure. Yeah. And again, it's, it's not my favorite of these, but it's certainly the best as far as teaching that kind of set collection mechanic right. where when you do collect something, it has an immediate impact on the next thing. And as you said, collecting the nobles are as straightforward as possible. I probably recommend the Marvel version, the Thanos version mm-hmm. of this, just because it's even a, li- even a little more directive. But yeah, absolutely. Splendor. All right. And then the very last one on the list, we have Social Deduction. Now, this is a tricky one because almost any Social Deduction game is relatively easy to learn. They're not, sure. they're not hard games. They're designed to be simple. So... The simplest, most basic of them all that I would recommend to anybody is Resistance because it's Resistance. There's also Avalon, same game with a medieval theme. But my favorite, which does a very similar job in terms of teaching the rules and keeping it simple for everybody, is Deception, Murder, in Hong Kong. You can still teach the game in five minutes, but it gives everybody something slightly different to do and a more interesting goal to work towards rather than just everybody close your eyes and then point at each other for 20 minutes. Uh, (laughs) Which is fun. It can be fun. It's just, I don't, you know, the game part of it. I don't know. So to each their own on this one, I think if you really, 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 like nobody's ever played any social deduction before, the you can't go wrong with the resistance. Uh, But Deception Murder in Hong Kong is is better, I think. And not not too much more complicated. Yeah, the resistance, and I would recommend the Avalon edition just because it gives you that Merlin kind of option where... Even if you catch the other person, there's still a chance to kind of play through. But also, I, I think that, as you mentioned, um, Deception Murder in Hong Kong, what's interesting about that is a lot of social deduction games don't allow you to create a story or narrative. You're just like, it's werewolf, right? So it's like, you're the werewolf. Right. Why? I don't know. Um, Deception <laughs> Murder in Hong Kong does give you that idea that there is a story playing out and there are responsible parties and you could kind of put together a narrative that fits somebody in that in that group. So I like that a lot better because the the story is what the social deduction is all about. This person did a thing and not just very plainly like you 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 maybe you I don't know over there somewhere someone's responsible for this. Or as we used to play with Anthony all the time played werewolf, he's got a beard, he's a werewolf. That's I mean that you know Standard, I, no, standard practice. It's not just me, man. <laughs> it's not just you. It was. It's everybody. Everybody played that way. <laughs> like, Jeez. Facial hair. Right. You're a, you're a wolf now. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's all we have to play with. But social deduction games, Deception and Murder in Hong Kong, is especially one of those games that gives you a lot more to kind of play with. All right. So hopefully these games are educational. Hopefully these games will help train you and other people about these wonderful mechanics. Once you get these base mechanics down, you're ready to roll with pretty much any game that you're going to see in the future because they're going to utilize these mechanics or a combination of these mechanics in the future. So add these games to collection and get these games to the table. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all. See you at the table. Take care. <laughs>